one of the my favorite songs that I get to play on this show. Uh, this is Betamax. Uh, love this track. So very nostalgic. What's going on? You are listening to a mini episode, midweek episode of In Love With The Process. I'm your host, Mike Petchy. Come on in, grab a seat. Are you hungry? You want some food? Uh, I've been cooking lately. I might have some leftovers. I think I still got some leftovers from last night in there. You want me to make you a sandwich? Uh, You want a beer? Um, Have a seat. Relax. Uh, The AC is off just for sound reasons, but it's not too hot in here, right? Uh, welcome. I am your host, Mike Petchy. You're listening to In Love With The Process. What is going on? I just got home <clears throat> from a mid-afternoon bike ride, um, which I cut short today uh, just because I've got a fucking headache. It's been uh, one of those days where the I had a therapy session that was rescheduled this morning, so I was up early, and then I wasn't happening, and then it was happening again, and then it wasn't, and then I missed my bike ride. So my day, my schedule, my routine's all fucked up. (laughs) Um, But I think ultimately it's because I am uh, still hungover. And uh, this is, you know, a lot of folks ask, what's it like to get older? What's it like uh, in your 30s, right? Because there's a lot of you youngins listen to the show. Maybe you're in your late 20s and you're like, fuck, 30s right around the corner. You know, I'm going to be old, 30. 30 is not old, man. 30 is like the new 20s, and 30s are great. I really love the 30s. It's like the perfect time uh, for you to be taking your life seriously, quote unquote, taking your job seriously. People start to respect you for your work. Uh, Potentially, you've been at it for at least 10 years, right? If you started early. Um, And so people are starting to acknowledge and recognize that you are the woman that, that, that bakes or you're the person that uh, makes movies or you're the person that's acting, people start to recognize that. Uh, You start to get some calls for work. That all happens in the 30s. 30s are great for that. Um, And then as uh, crossing into the 40s, right, because that 40-year-old, 40, 40-year virgin, 40-year-old virgin, all that stuff, 40s is like, oh, fuck, that's beyond adult. That's into like the, oh, fuck, what am I doing with my life in the 40s? Um, I love the 40s. They're killer, man. I mean, yes, I'm not going to say I wasn't uh, um, immune to the concern. There were specific things that I had scheduled for my life to happen by the time I was 40. Um, And then I just sort of had to get over the fact that that didn't happen at 40. And then I had to process why the fuck I put those schedules on my life anyways. What was the purpose of that? And, you know... I think it's a weird thing when you're driven. If you have a dream, if you have a very difficult dream, you're always putting deadlines. You're putting, uh, you know, flag posts, you know, by the time I hit this age, then I'm going to shoot a movie. Or by the time I do this, I'm going to open up my own shop. By the time I do this, this is going to happen. And they're important for motivation. You know, I believe in that. But um, also there's shit that happens in this world, like fucking COVID you know, that changes all that stuff. And and so like, if you don't hit those flag posts, then what? And you sort of have to assess, you know, look, that, that deadline that I had given myself was there for a good reason because it was helping pull me there. But what am I going to beat myself up now? What am I going to fucking Harry carry myself because I didn't get to that point yet? You know? Anyway, but uh, one of the side effects of 40, one of the because I'm going to be, what, birthdays in July. Thank you in advance for the happy birthday. Um, so I'm going to be 44 this year. Okay. Um, one of the side effects of uh, being this old, <laughs> there's so many older people that are like, you're a youngin', boy. Um, one of the side effects of hitting this point is that the hangovers last days. And, you know, it doesn't help. When you're going out and you, you do like an epic party, I went out and uh, hung out and supported my buddy, uh, Will. 
uh, who does all the writing and stuff. It was his birthday and we went out and we did a West Hollywood birthday party, which was fun and weird and strange. And the fucking, the vibe in West Hollywood is very strange. It always is. It's a weird fucking place. And from the outside looking in, most folks are like, what's it like to live in Hollywood? And what's Hollywood like? And, you know, on its surface value, like on its surface, Hollywood is fucking gross. And uh, I don't mean like socially or like creepy stuff going on behind the scenes. I mean, just gross. The, the streets smell like piss. There's lots of fucking homeless people. Um, the area is just, ugh. it's like picture, you know, Times Square, but the back end of Times Square. That's what a lot of Hollywood feels like. Which is very strange because there's such like a, a a wide gap in wealth out here, you know, where you'll go through like, you know, these giant cardboard shanty towns that you swear you could find the listing on Airbnb for some of these places. And then like a Tesla parking out in front of it and someone getting out and, and doing all that stuff. So it's it's weird. It's very surreal when you're hanging out in West Hollywood. And then when uh, you're hanging out with young people in West Hollywood, it's very odd. It's like uh, there's a very specific flock of folks that are consistently, you know, dressing to impress, right? That's a big thing. But also the, the, it's the type of people that when you're talking to them, they're always looking at the doorway and seeing who's coming in, right? They're always checking to see, like, if there's someone that's coming in that they should be talking to instead of you. It feels that way a lot when you're there. Um, but we had a blast. I mean, there's something really nice about being in my forties and surrounded by younger folks that are in like the early thirties or mid thirties or even their twenties and just being over it and just being, I don't give a fuck who's coming in the room. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't matter to me. Um, and it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun to be in a group of, of people like that where you can sort of observe and get lost in it. Um, and we had an adventure, man. We did an adventure. It's not really a bar safari, but we went on a weird fucking adventure. We ended up at this bar. I don't remember the name of the bar. I'm not going to plug them anyways, but it was like this rooftop cowboy bar, which was weird. Um, and then apparently Gwen Stefani was there because she was in town. She was doing like the Rose Bowl. So she was there for a beat. And then uh, we got to, we had like a whole little setup for the party, which was cool. Um, and then live music, weird, like faux, like Western vibe, you know, like a lot of dudes walking around with cowboy hats, not because, you know, they're protecting their face from the sun while they like chase down cows, but more so because they probably got it for free with the purchase of the new jeans from the shop down the street. You know what I mean? Like that kind of vibe. Um, Listen to this fucking guy, salty. Uh, but it was fun. Like the uh, the band was great, and uh, we polished through uh, at least a bottle of tequila. <sighs> you know, you feel it, my voice. Yeah, bottle of tequila, a lot of beers, um, and uh, the night transformed. It was fun. It was wild, weird. Apparently, like Jerry Cantrell from Alice in Chains was there like singing, I fucking, for the life of me, I was listening to the band and I could not, like Will sent me something afterwards, like video. And he's like, Jerry Cantrell was there? And I was like, when? <laughs> what did I, do? at that point, I think I stepped into the, uh, the uh, tequila fueled fucking DeLorean. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, oh, fuck. Um, but it was a lot of fun. I was happy to do it. Met some cool people, hung out with some good folks and, crashed you know like seriously crashed like two days out three days out you know i was like fuck i still feel shitty today man getting old um but yeah that's just me complaining uh what's going on with you guys what's happening have you guys seen any new movies lately uh there's a couple great ones out uh some stuff that i still haven't seen um, but, uh, drop me a note on, uh, Instagram. Tell me what you've seen. Tell me what you've gone to the theater to see. Uh, I was very excited. Me and, uh, Mike Tran, uh, you haven't heard that name in a while. Voltran, he was on the show in season one. Um, me and Tran went to see the new Top Gun. Went, saw the new Top Gun at the Alamo Draft House. You know how much I like that place. Um, it was a fucking blast. 
it was it was a real fucking blast like uh just a really nice uh escapist blockbuster summer movie and uh i really had fucking fun with it and when you're looking at it from like a technical standpoint holy shit the jet stuff was so exciting to watch and they did a really good job sort of setting up how the jets worked and teaching us how the jets worked so that you're at a point you know spoilers here but you're at a point in the movie when they're doing actual dog fights and you're like oh no no let out the flares like because you've been trained and you know uh, as the audience and and it's been a while since i've seen a fucking movie that got me that excited i felt like a 15 year old kid you know watching airwolf again or even watching the first top gun again and going like i want to fly jets not i want to be in the military but like i want to fly fucking jets you know um I, did you guys see it did you feel the same way they did some stuff that was fun i thought the update of the love stuff was interesting and of course you know tom cruise is older I liked seeing him older. Um, there were some moments where, you know, they weren't cleaning up his his uh, complexion. And so you could see his age. There was actually like an intro in the beginning, which I'm surprised he let out, uh, where he sits in front of the movie at the beginning, at least at the Alamo, and was like, hey, everybody, it's Tom Cruise here. Thank you for coming. And he looked rugged. He was like, Whew. It's like, oh, there's, there's Grandpa Tom hanging out in the theater with us. Um, yeah, you forget how old this dude is. And then when you think about that, the fact that he's still jumping from buildings, yes, he flew all the jets. He did all that, like, like, you know, multiple G flight stunt sequences. But then you watch like the simple scenes of him, like just grabbing a football and running down the fucking beach, you know, and, and doing the Tom Cruise run, which is like, I'm putting like a thousand percent into every step as I fucking paw my way through the sand, you know? And you're like, if my dad did that, if fuck, if I tried doing that right now, I would, I'd break something, you know? Like he's older than Tom Segura and that dude couldn't fucking play basketball without breaking his body. It's crazy. The shape that that dude is in, it's nuts. Um, and uh, it's fun to watch. It really is. He's very enthralling. I get it. I mean, he, he pulls in people for a specific reason. And it was, it was very um, inspiring to see. Because, you know, we're fed. Hold on a second here. Oh, I'm talking to Gina. She is trying to get on her flight. We'll get into that. But um, we're fed like everything needs to have a social issue right now. Everything needs to be relatable. Everything needs to have all this stuff. And it was just nice to go see a movie that, sure, there was some sort of relatability. But it was very surface value stuff. It was more spectacle, right? What's it like to fly a jet? And knowing when you watch that movie that it's all practical, that's cool as fuck. And to see, like physically see what the jets do, the air when they fly through the air, how they affect the atmosphere, how they affect the actors. Um, I, You know, I've always been fascinated with it because when I was a kid, we uh, used to spend summers on the Cape and... Uh, on the Cape, there's an air base. So there's an actual military base down there. And uh, we would just hear jets consistently. So they would be breaking the sound barrier. They would be flying around. They'd be doing stuff. It was always nuts. You'd look up and see a bunch of Blackhawks. Or at that point, it was like Apache helicopters. And, you know, being a kid, like a young boy, you're looking at it and you're like, fucking weird, wild, super cool. And I used to like going over to the air shows, right? You'd see like uh, the Thunderbolts or you'd see uh, the Blue Angels. I think they used a lot of the Blue Angel pilots for this new Top Gun movie. Um, but it's always fucking wild watching these guys do stuff. And there was a brief period of time, I'm sure you've heard me ramble about it, um, where I got to go work as an assistant in an airplane shop. So I was working on the Cape at uh, Hyannis Airport. And I worked in the shop that would pull apart bleed valves. So like... I don't know if you guys know the insane sort of safety stuff that goes into airplane, the airplanes in general, but also airplane engines, like every piece on an airplane, every screw, every washer has a serial number on it. All those serial numbers are logged. Each and every one of those parts can only spend a specific amount of time in the air. 
Um, and we would just focused on bleed valves, which are these very specific, they almost look like little bleed valves. They almost look like little carburetors. And so we used to strip down turbines that would turbines that would come in, um, and then, uh, grab bleed valves and they'd send me into the sonic tank room, which I'm sure I'd get some sort of fucking, like, luckily I didn't do it a lot because I'm sure you'd get some sort of cancer from that shit, but I'd go into a sonic cleaning room and dip these into like some heavy duty chemicals and they'd run um, high frequency sound to knock particles off of them and then I'd be scrubbing them. And sometimes I'd use um, a um, sandblaster, right? So they would have these really cool little booths that uh, you, it's almost like uh, when you're watching one of those like biohazard movies where like the uh, scientists have to put their hands in the gloves and they look through the little glass window and and hopefully they don't tear and let the virus out. You know what I mean? It was that kind of thing, but there are these like heavy duty rubber gloves <coughs> and you would put a, um, a rusted piece of metal in there, maybe an aluminum or something. And there was a little gun that you would blast high powered sand crystals into it and it would slowly blast off um all of the rust so you'd blow the rust off so i did a lot of that funny thing is that years and years of of blowing that little black sand stuff around they called it black beauty i think is what they called it and it was actually like little plastic particles that was the sand material that i used uh in the end of 12 km when i needed to do that black sand I ended up getting bags and bags of that sandblasting material just because I had spent so much time with it. And I knew what it looks like. And isn't it weird, man? You know, like a job that I had in my early 20s uh, inspired me, you know, visually at least for a piece that I did, what, you know, 15, 20 years later. You know, it's pretty crazy. Um, so, yeah, we're, I'm, I'm on a fucking really interesting tie right here. Um so yeah, we used to pull apart bleed valves. We used to see how all these pieces came apart. So I know what goes into building uh, airplanes. And we used to work on the airplanes that they'd fly over um, the Grand Canyon. So it was all like those little prop planes. And those were the ones that we were working on most of the time. And when you actually see how they're put together, they're like fucking canoes. <laughs> they're like these like little fiberglass frame canoes that just go up in the air. And it's wild. It's wild when you actually take these things apart, like what you're in, like how they're framed and, you know, how they're riveted together. And then, then they just go up into the air with people in them. It's fucking nuts. And so when I'm watching Top Gun and I'm watching, of course, these jets are built uh, a bit different and a bit more sturdy, but they're, all, they're also like, like supercars, right? They're the, the supercars of the sky where, you know, they still need to be lightweight, um, and so just picturing these guys, just fucking 600 miles an hour, whatever the hell it is, like Mach three, just through the air and flipping these jets. I just can't imagine. I just, like, I just picture all those little parts and all those little details. It's fucking crazy. You know, the balls that you need to have, like just the, the blind faith that when you just like hit that throttle, <laughs> That everything's gonna hold together. <laughs> so yeah, man, and, and I think you take it for granted when you, because most of us, maybe some of you have been to like an air shell or an air base, and you've been able to go up and put your hands on a jet and feel it. But most of us see it uh, on the big screen or on your television, right, or on your phone, you know. And uh, you look at these things, and you go, okay, this thing's got to be pretty fucking solid. You know, the jets look solid. You ever have like jet toys when you were a kid and they're like die cast little things? They're not really that way. You know what I mean? They're these lightweight things, you know? It's crazy. It's crazy when you think about it. And they, these guys are in there flying them around. And then on top of everything, add to the mix that Tom Cruise is in there flying it around. Nuts. Pretty rad. So, I mean, like I was feeling all of that. When I watched it, I was feeling all how that stuff worked. And I, I really felt connected to the vehicles, to the airplanes while he was doing this stuff. And, you know, the story was cute. And, the, you know, the references to the original movie are fun. 
Um, you know, and um, Jennifer Conley is always amazing on screen. Man, she ages so well on screen. She just has, she's all, Jennifer Conley for me has always been the eyes, you know, and she has like these beautiful crow's feet now that are on the, the sides of her eyes that when she squints, they're just so gorgeous. And, you know, we live in a culture where, you know, like, you know, pull the skin around the face as much as you possibly can, iron all those things out. But, and I'm sure she's had whatever she needs to have as an actress, but um, those lines tell stories. I've always been fascinated with that. It's one of my favorite things when I used to take pictures of folks and women. I always liked the lines because the lines are, lines are the remains of a story. There's a story there. There's a reason why there's a crease on your forehead from laughing so much. There's history to it. Um, and when, when she had her close-ups in Top Gun, I was really sort of obsessed with that. I really liked it. Now, I know that there are some people that went and saw Top Gun. A lot of my friends that went and saw Top Gun, they went, yeah, it was a trashy movie. It was a fun movie. It was a popcorn movie. Why the fuck are you reading so much into this? Specifically because it was a fun escapism movie that had a lot of beautiful details. A lot of beautiful details like that in it. Um, and I enjoyed it, man. And it was still storytelling, visual storytelling. It felt like classic storytelling. The director did a killer job with it. Um, so I'm very excited about that. Sorry, I keep getting distracted because Gina's texting me. She has been in Boston for the past week um, visiting family, and she is stuck. Poor thing. She's stuck on uh, her flights keep getting changed. What's going on here? Going to Canada. Oh, man. They're canceling the flight. What? My God, she's having so much trouble right now. You know, the fucking airlines, as we st as we talk about airplanes, unreal. Now she's not even going to be able to come home today. The <laughs> Let's just put it really. Okay, so the airlines are essentially like, like a Greyhound bus, right? The Greyhound bus for the air, but they have such a fucking pyramid scheme going on with the airlines. And the shit that they put human beings through is insane. And the amount of money that you spend on a flight, you know what blows my mind as I continue on this tangent? The fact that I could sit in the same aisle, right? Same seat, same quality of seat, get the same fucking food, have the same screen in front of me, and I could be paying $400 less than the person that's sitting next to me. Sometimes $1,000 less than the person sitting next to me. That's nuts. That is nuts. Intentionally done to get you to buy tickets early, to pre-book out planes. And I get the flying jets are expensive. I get the fuel is expensive. I get that you have to have a certain amount of money, uh, uh, people on an airplane to make it even worth taking it up. I get that stuff. But, you know, capitalism at its best. So anyway, Top Gun, fucking loved it. Now, let's continue on here. I was talking to my friend about Top Gun and he was like, yeah, whatever. It was cool. Not really great. You know, it's got okay reviews. And I was like, it's got okay reviews? What? Because I never really look. Uh, so I went and I checked out. Um, let's take a look here. Make sure that, oh, wild. All right. So I'm looking at Rotten Tomatoes. I got a fucking beef with Rotten Tomatoes in general, right? And the fact that we rely on two little icons to tell us whether or not a movie's worth watching, whether or not a movie's worth watching in the cinema, it's either a fucking tomato or like a green slime splotch, right? Those are the two things that like an entire generation now is judging entertainment on. An entire generation is judging time committed to artistry, like, like uh, technical detail, all that stuff is being judged upon these two fucking things. And I was going to look up Unreal. I was going to look up the new one, but I accidentally typed in the original Top Gun, which I just watched the other day here at home on my brand new TV. I bought a fucking TV, guys. It has been over 15 years since I bought a TV, and I got a monster TV. Uh, I went out on Memorial Day. I had a good tax return, and I was like, ah, fuck it. And I, I ended up going in there to get... Uh, a new Roku player because like any hardware out right now, they keep releasing new software updates. So my old one was just super slow and I happened to go through the TV section. Big mistake, right? 
Um, but I saw one, LG. I got this, and I'm not sponsored by them. I should be LG. But I got this awesome 65-inch OLD, uh, OLED television. It's like, it's super thin. It's as wide as like a, as a notepad. And uh, it looks great, man. And there's really cool new features on it. I'm very happy that, do you guys remember like a year or two years ago, the professionals in our business were just pissed off at TVs because of like the smoothing and everything that was happening. Um, it would just literally change with, you know, the HDR and everything else. You'd go to into, you know, Best Buy and you'd see these TVs and you'd be like, why does Top Gun look like it was shot like a fucking basketball game live on television? That's gross. It's all that... Uh, image smoothing and image quality smoothing just to make the TVs look better. LG's got this really good feature. I'm not plug. I'm not plugging these guys, but they have a really good feature on their television, which will essentially read um, the format, the frame rates, everything that the filmmakers want the movies to have. So if the information's embedded in it into it, it'll automatically switch to that mode, which I really like. Um, and then of course I go through and I shut off all that bullshit. I think a lot of that refresh rate stuff is for video games anyways. So I get it. If you're playing like a video game and you want the full immersed experience, you want all that stuff, but it really does detrimental stuff to film and, and, and movies and stuff. It really pulls you out of the picture. Um, so I got this new TV. Anyway, so I was watching Top Gun on it the other day, which was wild to watch again on a big screen TV because my last one was like 35 inches. Like I had a small TV. Um, and it was fun. I thought the movie was beautifully shot. That's the old Tony Scott movie, right? You watch that movie. When you watch an old movie like that, remind yourself that it's not shot digitally, man. They aren't shooting raw files. They're not uh, you know, shooting it flat with the ability to color correct everything in post. Those filtrations that they used at that time period, you know, those gradients that run through the sky, those were put in front of the camera. Those were baked into the film footage. And there was no monitor on set. I mean, sure, there might have been a preview monitor, dog shit, like, video tap for the, for the focus puller. But you couldn't tell the exposures. You couldn't tell any of that stuff. That was all down to the cinematographer and his trusty light meter. So you go back and you watch these movies. And sure, they could do a little bit of color processing and they do the, uh, the uh, development process. Sure, you could tweak this, maybe add some more contrast, maybe push this or pull that. They could do that. Um, but when you look at these films and you look at the coverage, you know, the over the shoulder and this, and then was the shot the same day and was the other side of the room shot two weeks later, that was all kept track by the cinematographer. It's nuts. It's nuts. You know how hard it is to use a, a light meter like that? I would say 90% of you listening to the show have never touched a light meter. You guys, the only, the only light meter you've seen is the one that when you look through uh, your viewfinder on your digital camera, there's that little notch on the bottom and you're like, mm, is it towards the plus or towards the minus? That's your light meter. Using a light meter is crazy. Cinematographers still use them. Whenever I see a cinematographer with a light meter on his belt or gaffer with a light meter on his belt, I feel safe because I'm not going to get fucked by an uncalibrated monitor, right? I'm not going to get screwed um, by some bad cable the preview. So it's, it always really blows my mind. And so when I go back and I watch something like Top Gun, the original, and I see that cinematography, it's awe-inspiring. You're just like, holy shit. And the stuff that they did in the opening of the original, like the super contrasty silhouettes, very grainy silhouettes of like the flight crew getting the jets off the ship. They did a similar opening in the new version, but it was a lot safer shot. I actually prefer how dangerously shot the, the the original one was as far as exposures is concerned and everything. It's fucking really cool. Um, great movie. Watch the shit out of that movie. I'm looking at Rotten Tomatoes right now. It has a 57%. 57%. So it gives it a slime splotch or Rotten Tomato splotch. Fuck you. And the audience score gives it an 83%. I really hate the way that this website works. Hold on. Let's see what the new one. Oh, okay. So 
why does the original one only have a 57% and why does the new one have a 97%? Fascinating. Fascinating. Is that because of nostalgia? It's a fun movie. It's a great movie. It's very similar to what the original movie was. I mean, there's a couple of new themes about getting older in there, but it's pretty fucking similar, you know? What makes it 97 as opposed to the beat? The first one being 57. The audience score of this is nuts. It's 99% on here. It's pretty crazy. But in general, I like I never really trust Rotten Tomatoes. You ever look at that stuff? You ever look at the specific reviews, you know? Like they might give it a like a solid tomato, and the person running the review is still like, movie was like whatever tomato (laughs) you're like what that's the endorsement the movie was like whatever or there's like some bullshitty um social messaging review where it's just like this movie's too macho bullshit you know what i mean it's like who's writing this review like oh you know tony from his own website.com you know what i mean like what i don't get when did we become so obsessed with rotten tomatoes I'd much rather go see a movie myself and then ask my friends about that movie and and have them tell me whether or not that movie's good. And it's, it's such a wild thing now because when we were kids, when we were younger, right, you would look into the newspaper, right? You remember the movie section in the newspaper? And it was like uh, black and white most of the week. And then on the weekends, it was, they would have color, little squares, really fun to look at. They'd have reviews on it from early screens, screeners. And then you had your big reviewers, you know, the the Roperts and the Eberts and all those guys. But um, you would still go see a movie. And if a movie, it wasn't always it wasn't all about opening weekend. Right? Think about how long it took Halloween to become huge. Fucking weeks and months. For it that's, you know, continuously playing in the theater. The whole new formula is being opening weekend, first couple of days, they make full profit, right? That's the deal. So they make full profit first weekend. The movie theaters just make popcorn and, and drinks and shit. And then uh, do, do they just make a cut after that? I think so. I think they just make a cut after that. The movie theaters pocket a lot of it. Um. That's why there's this big push for opening weekend. That's why there's this big push on Rotten Tomatoes. And that, like, I, I just, it just feels too businessy, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Like, does it, like, like, does, does cinema feel like art to you anymore? Does it though? And, and when does it feel like art to you? Because everything is very businessy. Everything's very, 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 very businessy, and it's all being run by big corporate companies that have boardrooms and that run algorithms and purchase other companies that have all these algorithms. And remember all those like free fucking uh, surveys that you filled out because they were fun on Facebook. Those that now are coming to bite you on the ass later because they were sold off to these big places that are putting these things together. And then is there a reason that when you go watch most stuff today, you're just like, yeah. Tastes like a, uh, is that a cheeseburger? I don't know. Maybe it's a cheeseburger. I don't know what I'm having here. What is this? But then someone's like, yeah, but look at the package. It's got a fresh, it's certified fresh, man. This is an organic film, you know? It's supposed to be great. It's crazy. I don't know. I fucking stupid rant. But I was just thinking about that. I was thinking about why the first Top Gun only has 57% from critics and why the new one has 97%. Is that just nostalgia? Is that just marketing? I think they're great movies. And I think that, you know, Tony Scott basically set the stage for action with that movie for that time period. He was literally, it was like Top Gun, Die Hard, right? Lethal Weapon. So that's uh, Richard Donner. That's uh, McTiernan. Tony Scott, Ridley Scott to a certain extent, but Ridley was doing more artistic sort of dramas with the vibe. Although 
even Black Rain really isn't an action movie, even though it's got like an action third act. Black Rain with Michael Douglas, Andy Garcia, love that fucking movie. But that's more of like a crime drama movie. Um, but these guys were like, were setting the tone. And this was, you know, all through Brockheimer and Don Simpson. It was either Brockheimer, Don Simpson, or it was uh, Joel Silver, right? Producing these movies that really sort of set the blockbuster tone for stuff. And it got really weird because um, the, uh, sorry, Gina was just calling me. My brain just shut off. Here, Mike, turn your phone over. Um, it got really weird lately because big action movies don't bring people into the cinemas anymore. It's weird. Um, and uh, obviously a lot of that has to do with the big push towards Marvel and the big push towards the superhero franchises because of the fucking huge amounts of money that those properties bring in. Um, and so very similar to rock music lately. Have you guys noticed that like rock music is kind of dead? Um, to the point, to the point where I'm out at the bar the other night and I don't even recognize Jerry Cantrell from Alice in Chains on stage, but, uh, like rock music, action movies, like the action movie star movies feel like they've been a bit extinct, right? I mean, sure. You have the rock, Right. And may maybe who's another big one? Ryan Reynolds, but it's sort of comedy stuff. Is Ryan Reynolds, the new action star. I mean, Deadpool really put him over the top with that. But then it's it was just really fun. I guess the point of this whole rant is that it was really fun to see that the old techniques, the old skill, the old visual storytelling, exciting storytelling, the action storytelling that that I loved as a kid uh, still works. And I wonder why is it just cause Tom Cruise is in it? Is Tom Cruise like that big a fucking draw still must be right. Is it cause he's in it or is it because of the jets? Is it because of like the energy with the jets and the action of the jets or is it nostalgia? What is it that made it really successful? It's fascinating right? It's fascinating to think about. Anyway, I thought it was a fun movie. Very exciting. It was a fun time. Uh, so I got to see that. I went and I did Will's party. Um, and um, like I said, I bought a new TV, which I'm very excited about. Uh, it cost me too much money. <laughs> it cost too much money, but I haven't bought a TV in over 15 years, right? It's been 15 years. It's been a while. Um, and uh, you get that point. You ever, you know, you know when you drop I don't know if you guys are the same way I am, but when you start to drop some big money, you drop a dime and you're like, fuck. And you know, you're a freelancer, right? You know that mo that money isn't coming once a week, right? Like, Should I be doing this? Like I, I had a, like a fucking anxiety attack, really, because <laughs> I went and I picked one up and I was just going to get like a 50 inch, right? Because we don't have a big space in our room. I was just going to get a 50 inch and I'm in there and I'm looking at stuff and I'm going through and I'm looking at the screens and you know, being the nerdy sort of cinematography kind of guy and also the guy that likes to entertain people. I'm like, my room's weird shaped. So the viewing angle is really important. So I got to get a good TV with viewing angle. And then I'm like, yeah, but the blacks need to be right on the screen. And then I'm like, mm, the OLED or, you know, and so you go, go sort of going back and forth. And next thing you know, I'm buying a fucking 65 inch. <laughs> and I bring it home. I set it up. The box is way too big. The TV's way too big for our stand. It's too big for the corner. And I'm still like, fuck. And I'm sitting there on the couch and I'm staring at this big TV and Gina's not home yet. And uh, she comes in the room and she's like, what did you do? Because he was completely surprised that I went out and bought it. And I just said to her, it's too big. Tell me it's too big. Tell me to bring it back. Tell me to bring it back. She goes, no, this is fucking great. <laughs> That's what I love about Gina. No, this is great. We're, we're keeping it. This is, this is amazing. I can't believe you bought this. This is so cool. And I'm like, okay, all right. All right. She's like, watch, watch movies again on a big screen and fall in love with the films that you love again. You've been watching them on this small TV screen for so long. She's like, spend a couple of days. And I did. I went back and I watched like, what I watch? Of course, you put on Mad Max, Fury Road. I went and I put on Mad Max, Road Warrior. I watched, um, uh, oh, you, there was a lot of really fun fucking details that I didn't notice in uh, Fury Road. Um, that happened too quick on the big screen. Cause I saw it in the theater twice, but the spectacle and the sound and your, your eyes are all over the place. You're trying to, you know, catch as much as you possibly can. 
But when I saw it at home, in the opening when Max uh, is getting tattooed and he starts to run, he jumps over his car that they're fucking, you know, chop shopping. And uh, he ends up fighting with those guys in the water. And then he runs out that door and goes out onto the cliff face and uh, gets pulled back in. It never occurred to me that the doorway he bursts through is uh, two ambulance doors, which was super cool. It's such a nerdy little detail. And the whole movie's about like repurposing as much stuff as they can possibly find. Um, but uh, yeah, it was super cool. Super cool stuff. Hold on a second, guys. Yes. Um, call you in a bit. Sorry, guys. In a bit. Um, so, yeah, it was fun to watch. Really cool. So, you know, I, like day two or three of watching a bunch of movies, I watched G.I. Jane. When's the last time you guys saw G.I. Jane? Like, the premise is a little loose. You know, uh, Demi Moore. She was a hot commodity at that point, and uh, they did a movie about uh, integrating uh, women into the military, um, and uh, she ended up having to go and train uh, to be a SEAL, and uh, fucking really well shot movie, uh, beautifully shot. Like his silhouettes on the beach, the way that Ridley like frames things and cuts things, you start to see, you see a lot of Black Hawk Down in G.I. Jane. It's a really fun movie to watch on screen. Like I said, it's like, I'd say it's like a B movie. Um, there's a lot of like trashy elements in it, but it's a beautiful movie to watch. Uh, saw that. And uh, what else did I watch recently? It was another Ridley Scott. Uh, I can't remember. But like day two or three, and I'm like, man, I love this TV. It's really great. I really love it. And then I had to pay the credit card this morning and I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Life of a freelancer. Why can't I not allow myself to enjoy these things? I'm like, oh, shit, I got to get another job. I got to pay for all this stuff. You know, I never do it. And, uh, you know, my therapist keep, keeps telling me that you need to enjoy these little things. You got to enjoy these little moments. Um, so, yeah. And speaking of gear and speaking about trying to make some money, um, I, <laughs> I need to do this myself. Uh, how many of you out there are in the same boat? Maybe you bought yourself a new TV. Maybe you're just waiting for your client to pay you. Some of these clients that have net 60 net, net 90. I had a client come to me and say, they're not going to pay me for 90 days, 90 days. It's like, what are you like cutting down the trees and, and pressing the money like 90 days? Um, so you guys in the same boat and you know, the, you know, the deal, right? If you're a freelancer, um, and you're out there trying to get jobs, jobs canceled, jobs come through. Sometimes, uh, it takes you three or four months. You go without work, right? And so it's all about having that savings. It's all about having that money stacked in the bank. And then you're concerned when you, when you touch that money, you're concerned when you get into it. Like I said, maybe you buy something new, maybe you buy a new piece of gear. Maybe you're buying a piece of equipment that we talk about on the show, but then you're still like, fuck, how do I do this? You always want to try to find other sources of income, right? Always trying to find like various sources of income that can also be supplementing what it is that you normally do. And I've got a lot of friends that are cinematographers. I have a lot of friends that are camera operators. And these folks have lenses. Lenses are very valuable on the marketplace for renting, especially if you have vintage lenses. Uh, people go out and spend a lot of money on new cameras. You guys see that new Aerie Alexa? Whew. What is it, 70 grand for that? Holy shit. Um, so there's a lot of really great gear out there. Maybe you guys are dropping dimes on that. Here's what I suggest. Um, if you have equipment, you have gear, maybe you got some lights, maybe you got some C-stands, maybe you got some old lenses, maybe you got some like really strange lenses. Consider renting them out. Have those lenses go out and make you money while you're not fucking working. Um, and the best place to do that are the dudes over at, at ShareGrid. Do you own camera equipment that you're not always using? At ShareGrid.com, you can earn extra money by renting out your camera gear to local filmmakers and photographers. Now, here's what's important, because I know the first question is, is like, I bought this gear. It's in great condition. I'm concerned about renting it out. How do I know how this person uses it? And then what happens if something happens to my equipment? 
Well, ShareGrid vets every renter and gives them access to instant insurance, meaning that your gear is always covered against damage or theft for 100% of its value. That's helpful. It makes it a little bit easier to do that. ShareGrid is the largest camera sharing community with over 150,000 creatives sharing their $1 billion worth of equipment. Uh, if you sign up at sharegrid.com backslash L, I'm sorry, if you sign up at sharegrid.com backslash ILWP, they'll give you $100 worth of promotional credits um, so that you can promote your stuff, get your listings up there higher on the, on the listing. Um, and then you can list all sorts of types of gear, camera, lighting, audio, grip, props, locations, anything that's production related. Uh, so don't wait, start putting your gear to work, start making a little bit of extra cash, go to sharegrid.com backslash ILWP. I've got friends that make uh, a good amount of money a year, especially if you've got lenses, a good amount of money a year for lenses. I got friends that make the rent for the year by renting out gear and putting it out there. Um, and you'd be surprised, man. It doesn't have to be the hot shit. It doesn't have to be, you know, an area Alexa. It doesn't have to be the anamorphics. Like Gina rents from ShareGrid consistently and you're, she's usually finding the lenses, um, photography lenses that uh, most rental shops don't have. Like uh, she'll find like really strange um, fisheye lenses or um, some like really uh, strange like Nikon lenses because most shops carry Canon uh, cinema lenses or Canon uh, still lenses. Um, so sometimes it's hard to find Nikon stuff. And so a lot of uh, users of that will have them out there and they're pretty affordable for rental prices. And then you're making like passive income on that stuff, you know, cause someone will show up and rent it for a week or two weeks. You don't, one of my favorite things to rent from there, it's the best place to get them are CFAST cards. Have you noticed how fucking expensive CFAST cards are? Those of you who don't do video or don't do uh, filmmaking, CFAST cards are the data cards that go inside of cinema cameras. And they are super fast to be able to process like 6K footage, 4K footage. Um, but there's like a stranglehold on the cost of these. Like all the other cards that exist out there always plummet in price within a few months or a few years since they have been released. These things consistently stay high in price. It's wild. And then when you look at uh, some of the big camera rental places, you're just like, how much are you charging me for a fucking CFAST card? Like, really? And so ShareGrid is one of my favorite places to go for, for details like that. And so if you're someone that's sitting on a bunch of CFAST cards and you're like, I want to make some passive income, sign up on ShareGrid. Put them up there, man. They're CFAST cards. You know, you don't even have to just, you don't have to put up, if you're worried about your big camera, don't do that. Do all the accessories because it's the accessories that people need to find. You know, monitor mounts, you know, light kits, light kits is a big deal, you know, put the light to work for you. And if you've got C stands and stuff, that's a big deal. Put them to work. Like I said, sharegrid.com backslash ILWP. How about that for an ad read hidden in my little, my little story there. Uh, I'm also really pumped as I'm talking about gear, uh, our collaboration with IndiePro. Uh, they just sent me a box of batteries and power adapters to really rig out my uh, Blackmagic camera. I can't wait to put it together. We're still waiting on some of the details from Small HD, but once it all comes in, we're going to put this rig together and it's going to be my shooting rig. It's the camera that I just used last week. I don't know if you guys were uh, following me on Instagram, but I did uh, a little show promo video uh, that I shot with our guest pins. Did you guys see this thing that I did? Let me give you a little bit of context here. I was feeling restless, right? I've had a couple false starts on some shorts. I have, I've had a couple false starts on projects. Um, and I really am fucking hungry to shoot something. And I was just having one of those days. You guys ever have those days where you're just in bed and you're like, I want to fucking shoot something. I want to shoot something now. Why can't I do this? And the rest of the world, schedules and conflicts of schedules and money issues and everything else is telling me I can't do the shit that I really want to fucking do right now, but I have to shoot something. I have to make something. And uh, so I was like, I'm going to shoot a promo. And I've got all these really cool macro extenders that I bought 
uh, when I was doing 12KM years ago. So I use these macro extenders to get like the eyeball shots on the iris, to get like super close on the fluids. Um, they're really cool. Um, and I was using those on my Nikon DSLR at the time. And I have a handful of really great lenses. I've got these old school Sigma macro lenses that are really fucking cool. So the combinations of those two elements enable me to shoot really, really tight stuff on small pieces. Um, and the cool thing about shooting macro is that for lighting, it's incredibly simplistic. You don't have to have big units. You don't have to have all that stuff. It's very small, very, small, very fun. Um, and if you've seen my film 12KM, you know what I do with macro stuff. I really enjoy it. It's kind of my vibe. And so I have the, these beautiful pins that uh, only few people are ever going to be able to get their hands on. I have this limited run of uh, limited edition pins for my guests of the show, but I'm also potentially thinking about giving them out to some super fans. Um, but my buddy, uh, Zach Matthews, Crunchy Fingers, um, I love his pins. I love his stuff. I think you guys have seen me post about his stuff on Instagram. Uh, I talked him into doing a collaboration for the show, and we designed these beautiful pins with the logo. Because if, if you've noticed, that microphone skull, the flaming microphone skull that we use for the show now, that was designed by Zach. He designed the, the logo, um, and then the logo was done, designed specifically to be a pin, which I was like, dude, can I also use it as the show logo? And he's like, yeah, fuck yeah. Um, and so the pins are beautiful. I have a box of them. We only pressed a hundred. There's only a hundred of these that exist. Um, and they're not being sold to the public. Um, I think what we're going to be doing is that Zach also made variants of the pins. So there's going to be these variant versions that are also beautiful, different colors. Some of them glow in the dark, really gorgeous pins. I think he's going to be selling his variants that he made for this. So um, I'm going to get him on the show. We'll get him on the show. We'll talk about the pins. Uh, we'll get you guys excited about it. Um, and then his shit sells out so quick. So when the stuff goes out, I'll be sure to alert you guys ahead of time so that you can get your hands on these really cool ILWP pins. But anyway, that's what I shot for the new logo thing that I put online. I shot that in an hour using the black magic and these macro adapters. Um, and I, uh, cut it in an hour on my Puget system and I used Jambox for the music. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, head on over to, uh, Mike Petchy, uh, at, uh, Instagram or head on over to in love with the process pod on Instagram and check it out. I was very happy with it. It was like this therapeutic, cathartic thing where I was like, am I good still? You know, sat down, shot this stuff, used one light. So everything is in camera and it's just one light. It was one of those little uh, aperture bricks and uh, made that happen. Just press record, set it up, did it. Super happy with it. I love the way it's cut. I love the way it looks and I love how fast I was able to pump that thing out. Thankfully, I was able to use this Black Magic and these awesome Indie Pro batteries. So many of you guys and girls out there are assistant camera operators. You guys are camera operators in general. And you understand that with all of these smaller prosumer rigs, whether you're dealing with Sony rigs or if you're dealing with Nikon or if you're dealing with Black Magic, the, the place that they really have been lacking on lately, and I'm sure it's got something to do with saving money, is batteries. Especially like, I love my Blackmagic 6K Pro, but it only comes with one battery. And the only way you could charge that battery is by leaving it in the camera and plugging the camera in. How is that useful? And it's super hard to find their aftermarket battery chargers, but it's such a pain in the ass. It's like, why is this a fucking thing? And now that we have to put so many accessories on our cameras, whether it's monitors, like a small HD monitor, uh, onboard monitor, or if it's like wireless video stuff, maybe you get like a Teradek. Um, maybe you have wireless focus. Um, when you're on set, the worst thing is when all those little batteries go, all those little power sources go and you're about to roll, right? The actors are ready. The rehearsal has been great. And it's hold on for a sec. And then you're unscrewing things and you're trying to pull out little batteries and shit. I have wanted to just have a large 
single battery that I put on my rail system that powers everything, powers the monitor, powers the camera, powers all the accessories. Um, and Indie Pro makes amazing ones. Uh, and I'm excited because I have the whole kit and I could just have these really great um, gold mount batteries that I can quickly charge and have a little charging station. It starts to feel like what cameras used to be, you know, before all these details and before selling you all these accessories. Remember when you, those of you listening that had old beta cams, it was the camera, it was the lens, it was the batteries, it was the whole ordeal. Remember that shit? It starts to feel more that way. Uh, let me do an official read for these guys. Indie Pro is uh, the one-stop shop for all your power needs for your pro video and DSLR cameras. Indie Pro offers a wide selection of professional V-mount slash gold mount. We're using gold mount. Uh, and chargers for batteries. Uh, they have battery adapter plates, which we have. It's a, an adapter plate that fits right on the rail system underneath our camera. Um, and then off that uh, gold mount plate, um, I can plug in all my P-taps from everything else. It's really nice. Um, the solutions are compatible for the most popular brands in the market today, such as Sony, Canon, Blackmagic, Panasonic, and numerous others. The, the company, IndiePro, is only located 30 minutes away from New York City, which is interesting because IndiePro manufactures uh, and assembles many of their power solutions in-house. This gives them the ability to customize any of their power solutions to fit any of their customer needs, meaning that they're putting the stuff together here or out there in New York instead of in China. So like if you go to them and you're like, hey, look, I have like this really weird custom rig. Can I get some additional P-taps? Can I get, can I hook up some additional things? These guys can build it custom for you, which is really kind of cool, man. Um, especially in our modern day where it's so tough to get stuff because of shipping and everything. We're still dealing with the after effects of COVID. It's kind of crazy. Um, we're offering a very special uh, discount code today for 20% off your entire first order from IndieProTools.com. Use the promo code LOVE20. That's our promo code. Okay, it'll help out the show, keeps our sponsors happy, right? At checkout and receive the discount, 20% off your entire first order from IndieProTools.com. Um, use the code LOVE20. Yeah. So yeah, got to shoot that really cool thing. I liked it. It's pretty rad. I had some, uh, some like, you know, self-satisfaction out of being like still the guy that can shoot the light and edit and do the whole fucking thing again. Got me a little motivated and got me to like start planning out some new stuff. You know, I had a couple good meetings this week. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, that's it, man. I just wanted to come on and it went a little bit longer today because we had a lot to talk about. But uh, if you haven't seen it yet, go see Top Gun. Uh, if you haven't seen any of the movies that you want to see right now, go see them. What is our... Okay, let's do this before I leave. What is uh, movies playing right now? Um, although this week I'm not going to be able to see much um, because I am going to be at Cinegear. And I they're not sponsoring the show. Um, but I will be at Cinegear. I know there's a lot of you um, camera nerds and filmmaking nerds that are out here in Los Angeles. Yes, I will be there. Uh, David Cruda, uh, my cinematographer, my bud, is coming into town. Gina is coming into town. We're going to be there. Um, we're going to be going to the um, Creative Solutions Party. So I, will, I, I think I'm going to be there for sure. I think that's on... Uh, oh, that might've been last night when this episode gets released. And then Friday, I think we're going to be at the Adobe party. Um, so if you're there and you see us come say hi, uh, we'll just be kicking around, looking at some shit. Maybe I'll be wearing my jacket. It might be too hot, but, uh, if you see us, come say hello, say that you listen to the show. Um, you know, and maybe I'll have some pins on me. Maybe I'll have some pins on me. So it might be a good way to get a pin if you come and say hi. Um, but yeah, that's at Cinegear out here in Los Angeles. The, uh, whole shebangle starts on Wednesday. Crew dog comes in on Wednesday and then, uh, we're going to be drinking, uh, eating too much shit and then looking at gear, talking shop straight through Sunday. So that is the rest of the week. Um, but in the meantime, like I said, go see a movie, uh, Jurassic world. I, I, I want to see that cause I like all the Jurassic park stuff. I'm into that. Um, 
I haven't seen everything everywhere at once yet. I want to see it. Crimes of the Future, the new Cronenberg, I want to see. A friend of mine said he didn't like it. I don't care. I'm going to still see it. I'm very excited to see that. I saw the the Fantastic Beasts, Secrets of Dumbledore. Uh, okay. You know what I mean? I, I, I get it. It's, I, I was older. It's sort of a thing that isn't my thing. And then that whole movie felt like this weird middle movie. It's very strange. Um, and then The Northman. If you haven't seen The Northman yet, see it. It's fucking the shit. Uh, that's it. That's it. Let's wrap up this episode. Hope you guys had fun. It's always fun to check in with you. Let's see what we're going to play here. Always fun to check in. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the show, for supporting the show, for uh, telling your friends to listen to the show. Our numbers are up, which is fantastic. I feel good about spending time on the microphone when you guys are actually listening. Thank you for sending your comments and your suggestions and your feedback. I've got a lot of really great feedback from you guys. If you really want to help the show get higher on lists, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Many of you are still listening on Apple Podcasts, I know. Uh, leave us a review there. If you're listening on Spotify, the reviews don't really do shit on Spotify. Uh, just log into Apple Podcasts on an iPhone, even if you don't use it, and just leave us a review. And I'm in love with the process. That's it. Love you guys. Lots of great episodes in the can, on the way, in the queue. So you know the deal. I will see you next Tuesday. <laughs>